And as I said, today we're finishing um, our series on fasting. So if I can get you to turn in your Bibles, please, to um, Philippians chapter 3 and, um, and your devices, whatever you're reading. And I have verse 7 to share with you. Read a few verses. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Heavenly Father, please inhabit what we do now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been given a particular aspect or result of fasting to talk about and I'm going to get to that in just a moment and I couldn't really think of a, a decent um, title and I can't even make the thing um, did I do something I probably broke it in the first service I'm ever so sorry there we are oh sorry can I go back look at this we're, oh, we're having a mare ladies and gentlemen there we are it's not really a title, it's more an observation of, of what I think we're doing today. I, um, I wouldn't want to stand up and say something to you that I didn't think was important, but I think this, what we're going to talk about today, is desperately needed. And if I can just leave that couple of words in your mind, desperately needed, um, I, I think you'll agree with me, not the importance of my message, but the importance of the message. I think this is desperately desperately needed. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There's a whole series that we could do on the fellowship of his sufferings. That's for another time, maybe. But, but I may know him. And he says in the middle of that, this was a man of considerable um, religious and academic attainment. This was an impressive man, Paul. And he said, when I look at it all and the things that are important, I count them as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And the, the translators into the English Bible are a little... They're, they're worried about our sensibilities because the word is not rubbish. The word is dung, manure, whatever word you prefer to use. Um, I count this all as that in comparison to knowing him. It's that important. Nothing is more important in life than knowing Jesus and knowing him well. So what have we learnt? What do we know about fasting? Let's just let's quickly have a recap because I think it's important. Um, fasting changes us. It doesn't change God. Okay? God's all right as he is. Okay? We're not. Fasting changes us. And it really does change us. This is not religious duty or penance, ladies and gentlemen. We're not fasting to show God how much we mean this. We're not fasting to punish ourselves so that God will say, oh, bless him, he, he must really want this, I'll do it in that case. This is not just some duty. 
it isn't a penance. It, it's, it, it involves a little suffering, it involves sacrifice, but that's not the objective of the matter. That's, that's the means to the blessing, not the reason for the blessing. Gareth spoke the week before last in his message on fasting about the fact that fasting ushers in the glory of God. It's worth a listen if you haven't. It's on the, on the website. It does. It ushers in God's glory. It's a weapon. Al touched on this last week in his message. It's a weapon in spiritual warfare. Do you remember the occasion where Jesus' disciples couldn't cast out the evil spirit? And they said, why Jesus did it? And they said, why not? He said... This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. That seems rather unfair because what do you say to someone who needs deliverance? <laughs> Can you leave it a moment? I just need to go away, pray and fast, and I'll be back. And then the idea is prayer and fasting is a lifestyle. You do it fairly regularly so that when you do meet the need that requires that there should have been prayer and fasting, you're all beefed up and ready to go. Yeah? And that was a terrible turn of phrase, but you understand what I was trying to say. Um, and if you want to get involved in spiritual warfare, and in fact, even if you don't want to get involved in spiritual warfare, I suppose the word is tough, because um, spiritual warfare is part of what we're all about, whether you like it or not. And uh, it's not part of the next life, but it's part of this life. Prayer and fasting is a tool for breaking barriers, for bringing breakthrough. And if you're not seeing a breakthrough, a, a season of prayer and fasting or sort you out, or sort the situation out. It's a wonderful tool in spiritual warfare. I think, and I'm pretty sure you would think so as well, um, fasting is a launch pad. Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist, and it says that he was immediately, in Matthew chapter 4, immediately the Spirit led him away into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he conducted a series, uh, not a series, uh, um, a time of 40 days and 40 nights praying and fasting in the wilderness. Um, and then you look at what happened. And he was the son of God. He was sent for this purpose. He, he was never going to fail. But when you look at the absolute success of Jesus' ministry, when you look at his lightning-sharp responses to people, his compassion, his tireless perfection in everything that he did... Um, the power of his words. He spoke not like the teachers of his day, but one who had authority. People couldn't help but listen to him. He provoked reaction. People loved him or they hated him. They hated him so much, we've got to kill him. He's got to go. It would be lovely, wouldn't it, to produce such a reaction? I'm used to people saying, well, that was a lovely message, but I think, love someone say, I want to kill you for what you said today. I think, we got you. Um, I mean, I'm hoping for the other, but you understand my point. I, you know... Uh, what, what a terrible thing it is to evoke indifference from people when you're talking about Jesus. And everything he did was perfect. And there's a really strong case to be made for the fact that the, the great success of Jesus' ministry is in no small part to the fact that he began it with a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And if you're starting something new, Start it with a season of prayer and fasting. It doesn't have to be 40 days and 40 nights. It's not possible for most of us. But uh, even, even if it's the smallest of things, I'll, I'll talk about that a little later, but prayer and fasting is a great way to begin a new job, um, a house move. You're starting something new in the church. You've just volunteered for something. Well, start it with prayer and fasting. Uh, Jesus, if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for us. 
in Bishop Stortford, isn't it, to do this. And it's a great launch pad for anything new that you are doing or that you, you believe you should be doing. And the simple thing, I think, probably that I could draw the whole series together with is the fact that this is a spiritual tool. It's right for us to talk about some reasons why fasting and prayer is so important. It, it, it gets the, the flesh under control. It, it's, it's a discipline. It, these are all important things to observe. But really, all we need to know is that Jesus fasted. Um, the great heroes of the Old Testament fasted and prayed. So we should as well. It's a spiritual tool. It really doesn't matter why it works. It just does. And this is what it's all about with us doing this series, is to try and encourage you to continue or to begin fasting. Now, a, a little point of order is that I can't be bothered to keep saying prayer and fasting. It's going to extend my message by a couple of hundred words. So can you just assume to help me that if I say the word fasting... I mean prayer and fasting, okay? Fasting on its own is of absolutely no value whatsoever. It, it's just a piece of personal discipline, very impressive, but of no spiritual value at all. It's only any use when it's prayer and fasting. So when I'm talking about fasting, can you just help me and assume that I mean both? Because that will save us both a little bit of time today, prayer and fasting. This is what we've learned. This is what we knew anyway, and this is what we believe these considerable bonuses and blessings that come from fasting. Now, the thing that I've been asked to talk about today is the fact that prayer and fasting helps us to draw close to God. God wants us to draw close to him. And prayer and fasting is a great way to do this. Therefore, says James, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's a wonderful exchange, isn't it? If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Last week, um, I knew by then that I was doing this, and I had a rough idea of what I thought I needed to be saying today, and I'd been given my theme. So that scripture draw near to God and he will draw near to you, was in my mind and heart. So uh, I was thinking of it while, I, while we were worshipping. And last week I was sitting there and Al was standing here in the worship and he said, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And I was involved in a tremendous sense of feeling God's presence at that moment. And I sat down I think people were worried. Somebody even prayed for me. I felt a hand on my head because I was obviously deeply distressed and I, I was caught up in a moment, I have to say, where I felt God speaking but without using words that I could hear, if you understand me. And, and I've been wrestling with this all week and I, I just want to say what I think is the heart of what I heard last week in the morning service. My people are content if I will bless and protect their families, bless and protect their incomes, if I will grant them a sense of my presence. But I want more. I want a people who will, more than anything else, want to be closer to me. And I've been thinking all week how I could say that to you without sounding as if I'm 
judging your relationship with God because I have no idea what, what, what's happening in, in your private space with God. But I just want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit this morning. And we learn this in normal human interactions, that it's perfectly possible to have meaningful and rich relationships with people, to like them, to work with them, to learn to respect them, to even learn to love them. And you can love people that you are really engaged on a very superficial level with. Um, you can even move to a place where you used to be very intimately acquainted with somebody, but then maybe, I suppose this must be the case when parents watch their children grow up and leave home. No one loves those kids more than you do, but then probably will come a point where you don't know what their favourite dinner is anymore, you don't know what their, their priorities, you may not even know what their politics are anymore. I, I'm always delighted when parents say to me, oh, I found out my son's been going to church for six weeks, he hadn't told me, and it, which is a wonderful thing, but it, it's possible to really love somebody, but not to be that close to them at times. And we, we prove this all the time, don't we? And unfortunately for so many of us, this is how we're conducting our relationship with God. We love him, we have interactions with him, we feel his presence. He asks us to do things and we often do them. We ask him to do stuff for us and he does that. He uses us. We tell people about him and uh, we are fruitful. And yet the Holy Spirit says... I still feel like you don't know me very well. I still feel like you're not sure of what my priorities are at the moment. You never ask me. You just get on with it. And I'm not describing a bad Christian there. I'm describing a, a good Christian. But the Holy Spirit wants more. And we're encouraged. Draw close to him and he will draw close to us. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I think this is what God wants. He wants more. Which is why I said at the beginning that I thought this was desperately needed today. Because I think it really, really is. Let me just remind you of the state of play when it comes to your relationship with God and drawing close to God. Firstly, God already knows you anyway. Um, he knows everything about you. Um, if you haven't read Psalm 139 for a while, to do yourself a favour, read it every day this week if you've got time. Look at this. Um, first, um, first six verses. Have a, have a look, please. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know it already. You have hedged me behind and before, laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And I thought verse 13 was quite important. It says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. There's, you knew me from the beginning. You knew me before there was a beginning. You, you know my end from my beginning. You know everything about me. You know everything. I remembered um, hearing a sermon about this and someone said, he talked about Polaroids. I got my phone out earlier and I said, let's take, a, let's take a picture of your heart, shall we? There we are. Got it. All your innermost secrets and every single thought 
and I'm going to have these, um, Susan's going to have these printed off while I finish my talk, and then we're going to sell them at the door, and free if you've got no money, and how do you like that, yeah? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that actually, it might just be the most beautiful picture we ever took, like, who knows what's in your heart, but uh, most of us will be quite glad that that app hasn't been um, made possible yet, has it? I'm pretty, pretty glad myself, uh, not a selfie I ever want to take, but... You know, God knows everything about us. He's not going to say, you did what? When did this happen? God knows every single thing about you. He knows everything about you. And he's not just stuck with you. What am I supposed to do about this now? He's here. I've just got to put up with it. God actually, knowing what he knows about you, still can't get enough of you. Knowing what he knows about you, he still says... I want to devote a whole sermon today to asking you to get closer to me. Because if I was God, I'd be quite glad if the opposite was happening in my case. But actually, what the Holy Spirit wants is more of us. And even though he, he knows everything about us, he says, I still would have sent Jesus to die for you. You're totally worth that to me. And, and I find these things quite difficult to comprehend and the psalmist there in that last verse says such knowledge is too wonderful it's too high I can't attain it um I can't get my head around it can you um so what <laughs> it's true and I want to accept it by faith he knows everything about me and he still wants to know me so two amazing facts firstly that God wants to know you and secondly, and I find this as difficult to get my head around, is that God actually wants us to know him. He, I'm thinking, really, with what you know about me, you still want me to know everything I can about you? It's rather humbling, rather wonderful, and absolutely based on everything the Bible has to say about our dealings with God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So what happens when we draw near to God? Several things. First, it's very difficult to trust someone who you hardly know. Um, I spend a lot of my time conducting funerals and one of the most challenging parts of the role is that I'm often dealing with strangers who look at me. They don't know a thing about me and... Um, They've got no choice but to trust me. Some of you are doctors and medical practitioners and the stranger is, they've got no choice but to trust you with their life, literally. I always think that um, people who work in care homes have such a unique responsibility because you're taking somebody who's the most precious person in your life and entrusting them with complete strangers. And sometimes that's just what we have to do. But God is saying there's no need for you to behave like that with me because... If you find it hard to trust me, then get to know me a bit better. Come a bit closer. I think sometimes we don't trust God because we don't know him very well. When you've, when you've got closer to God, it's so much easier to trust him because you see what he's really like. Trust. Um, don't need to say any more about this than just to tell you, but people who understand who God really is draw close to him tend to be wise people. Psalm 111 says that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. 
and people who draw close tend to be wise. I probably should have put this one next to, to trust, actually, but there, there is a lack of peace in a lot of hearts, and, and it, it's not right, because as Christians, whatever else we are, we should be a, a people of inner peace, shouldn't we? Um, that's not a heavy thing I'm laying on you and saying, well, you ought to be peaceful. It's just the natural reaction of the creature to the creator when you see how great he is, is that we should be at peace if he speaks to us. That should be good enough for us. It, it should be enough. And we should feel that it's enough because it's really hard to do that from a distance. We talked about different relationships and some of you perhaps, as I have, have engaged over the years in a long-distance relationship. They can be very exciting in the days when we wrote letters. You just couldn't wait for the letter to arrive. You, if you got to see each other once a month, you lived for that day. And the day before, it was just about the best day. And the day that you're leaving was the worst day. And you, It's that dreadful pirate's one of, the, the, one of the 17 Pirates of the Caribbean film where... Um, I can't believe I'm doing this. This wasn't in my notes, but I've started, so I'll finish. Um, it was um, Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom, wasn't it? And after Davy Jones, something happens, I can't even remember, and I certainly didn't care. He could only come on dry land for one day every 10 years, and the whole thing was, yeah, but what a day that is. And I bet it is, you know, um, but is that how we want to conduct our business with God? You know, we live in abject indifference and distance for most of the time. Then now again, we have a couple of days where it's all systems and we live off that for a while. And you know, it's, it's quite fun to conduct a long-distance relationship with God, but it's not really what his best plan for us is. Peace and trust come by drawing regularly close to him. And the thing I'm going to focus on as I sort of move to the last part of the message today is this wonderful business of a really deep and profound communication with God. Have you noticed that when you get close to somebody, when you let somebody trust you and you trust them, the next thing you do is you begin to tell people stuff, don't you? You don't trust complete strangers with really personal stuff unless they're your doctor, I guess, or, or unless they're your bank manager or your accountant. That, that's probably the only time that ever happens. But in most situations... You tell stuff to people you really trust. And sometimes they're surprised. That, I never knew you thought that. I never knew that. Well, I didn't really know you well enough, but now I do. That's, that's you know, well, that's amazing. How about that? And God wants to tell you stuff. Do you realize this? You, you, you know, we, we don't have Bibles as often now because we use our devices. But when you look at it, for a minute, look at the size of that bad boy there. Look at it. That's a, there's a lot in there, and it's all about God trying to tell us stuff. God wants to tell us things. This is what he wants to do. He wants to tell us secrets. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God doesn't just want to speak in bland, general terms to us. He wants to tell us secrets. How many secrets do you know that God has said, I'm telling you this, but I don't want you to tell anyone else yet? This is just for you to know. What a wonderful thing to be in a relationship with God where he tells you things. And this is what happens when we draw close to God. He feels he can talk to us. And I, I do believe that one of the most disappointing experiences of life is when you have something important that you want to tell somebody and you choose the wrong person to tell it to. And you're, you're, you're chatting to them and it's like, oh, guess what, I, I, I've got to tell... I, I really... This, and you're going, oh, yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, well done, you. Anyway, oh, won't be a moment. Yeah. And you think, well, she don't care. Um... It's only because you were ever so pleased that you sat there 
beneath him. And I'm not even done yet. We haven't done the money thing yet, have we? We're, we're all over this today. But you must have had this happen where you've told somebody something, and they weren't horrible people. They didn't say, well, that's pathetic. But they just, something about their demeanour made you believe that it just wasn't that important to them. And you think, well, that really mattered to me. What happens when that happens? You don't say, listen, you hateful, disinterested person, a curse be upon, you know. What, what you do is you just say, no, it's okay, don't worry. No, no, you're busy, it's all right. You just think, no, I'm not going to tell you that. I, I never should have told you in the first place. That was really important and you didn't care, so I'll find someone who does. Now, God is a lot better than us and a lot bigger than us. But I can't help thinking that the evidence of our experience is that sometimes God tries to talk to us and we don't really seem to care that much. And so God will say, fine, we'll talk about it some other time when you've got time. Or maybe, I thought you'd be interested, but I'm going to tell somebody else because I need this done. Now, I don't mind making mistakes and having to repent of them, but I would hate the idea that there's a list of things that God said I want him to do that, but he had to give it to someone else because I was too busy or I wasn't interested or he thought I wasn't interested. When we draw close to God, we're showing God that we're interested. I want to know. If there's nothing to say, that's fine. But if there is, you've got my attention. I'm up for this. And God's priorities start becoming our priorities. His heart starts becoming our heart the things that we're interested become a little less important than the things that he's interested in and instead of grubbing around trying to guess what God's saying we have drawn close to God so that we know and I enjoyed reading this I don't get to read this as often as I'd like but two of my favorite verses in the Bible um, some of the Bible is quite unpalatable isn't it in the, to the modern western ear don't you think and uh, my favorite is having owned a dog um, and any dog owners know this to be true uh, that lovely scripture that says the dog always returns to its own vomit it says that in the bible it does um, how charming and this is almost almost up there with it Matthew 7 verse 6 do not give what is holy to dogs nor cast your pearl before swine lest they trample them under feet it's a really hard thing to talk about because whoever you bring into that story ends up being the pig, don't they? And there's no really good way of doing that. But it's there for a reason. Jesus said it, so it must be taken seriously. There are certain things that are like pearls. They're precious. And, and Jesus said, give them to somebody that will appreciate them. Don't cast them before swine who are just going to tread on them. It's not the swine's fault. It's just that they don't... Swines don't do pearls. It's that simple. And this is where we need to make sure... And I should have thought of a clever way of saying this, but we need, we need to be more about pearls than about pig's wheel, don't we? Yeah? Um, this is clumsy language, but it's biblical language, so I, I don't back off from using it. Um, God is wanting us to draw near. So I'd like to take you back to where we started, which is Philippians chapter 3. I've quoted it a few times, but it's got a lovely word to think about. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul said, this is my, 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 the apex of my ambition, is that I should know him. Nothing in my life is more important than knowing him, and that I want to know him. And I love the fact that the word know, to know him, it's, it's the Greek word, and uh, the people in the first service were good at this. The word is gnosko, 
so you can all say that. Now, go on. Gnosko. Beautiful. Now, you'll remember it, won't you, forever. Gnosko, yes? It's a lovely word. It, it, it's part of the word gnosis, to know. But it, it, it means it's a growing knowledge. So it's not that Paul was born with this knowledge. It's not an instinctive knowledge that Paul just got it. It's a process. It's like learning something from the beginning to the end. It means to gain in knowledge. It means to grow in knowledge. It means to, to put effort into the knowing. And Paul says, I want to know him. I want to get to know him. I want to grow in what I know about him. I want this process never to stop. I want to know him. And, and you know, we, we talk about certain things in life that are instinctive. Um, that, that was just, it was beautiful in the first service. And the worship team were great in the second. I love it when Ewan's leading it. It's beautiful. And I was saying, um, I've spoken about this to the preachers. I'll probably not talk about it again. But I am standing before you as a, a tortured soul because I love music, but I have absolutely no capacity to be able to do anything about it other than listen. I can't sing. I can't play anything. I spent my teenage years learning almost every free musical instrument that the school would let me learn. And in the end, I realised I can't do it. Kay Marie one day is going to... You'll see her running out of the church in tears because she keeps insisting that there's no such thing as a person she can't teach to sing. And one day, just to spite her, I'm going to let her have a go. And, and you'll see her running down the high street, crying and saying, I, I never want to hear anyone sing again. And you'll know that we've had a, a time together, you see. And, and so I always feel very resentful and very envious and very pleased when I see people with musical talent, people with artistic talent, people with practical gifts, watch a good carpenter work. It's a sacred thing to do. Um, and sometimes, no matter how much you try, you'll never be able to do it. These principles don't apply to spiritual things. There is no such thing as a person who is just that kind of person that can hear from God. There's no such thing as a naturally spiritual person. There isn't. There are weird people that sound naturally spiritual, but that's just because that's what they're like, and good luck to them. But there is no such thing as a person who is just that kind of person. And if you've stood here and listened to other people and thought, I could never do that, you're wrong. Because God is able to use every single one of us. He's able to speak to us. He's able to use us to affect other people's lives. And there is no such thing as a person who is born again who can't get to know God really well. No such thing. Paul says, I want to do it. I want to get to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to get close to him. And fasting and prayer is a tool for us to get closer to God. So I finish by taking you back to the place that Jesus launched his ministry. Um, I didn't take that photo, but I, I've been there. I've seen that exact scene in the Judean wilderness. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. Some of you have done that as well. You've been fortunate like me to visit the Holy Land. And it's what a wonderful place to pray. What a wonderful, what a wonderful freedom from distraction. And, uh, but I am very conscious that I'm talking about all this fine stuff today. And there are loads of you who are just thinking, well, that's all very nice. But I've got some honest-to-God situations that are really very real. And Nigel was spot on. He, he talked about the fact that God, I paraphrase, and I hope I do it justice, 
but God is in the circumstance, you know, that the circumstance does not preclude us from drawing near. It does not, you know, the, the circumstance of our lives does not dictate how close we can be to God. And I do believe that we have allowed ourselves to wander into some error when it comes to the effectiveness of prayer because somewhere we've got this idea that unless you've prayed for a long time, you haven't really prayed. Unless you've really done something dramatic that everyone else goes, wow, I should do that. Somehow we've not really done it. And I am not, I don't know if I made this clear enough in the previous meeting, but I, I am a person who has had time of prayer. I know what it is to spend hours and days in prayer. I've been fortunate to be able to do it. I commend it to you, and if the opportunity's there, do it. It'll be the best thing you did. But for most people, we are living busy complicated lives and there just isn't lots of time to withdraw and the thing is we tend to think we've got to go a long way to find a wilderness where we and we don't and we tend to think that when we get there we've got to spend hours and we don't I just want to finish with this kind of I'd like to burst the balloon by talking about money for a moment we do this with prayer where unless you've prayed for ages you're not that spiritual you're not going to see much breakthrough but we never do that with finances, do we? Um, <laughs> here we go. Um, Benita is on very minimum wage. She works really hard but only earns £120 a week. Um, Nicola is ostentatiously wealthy and earns £10,000 a week. Obviously, that's not true. That's, that's close. And... Um, <laughs> So we don't, we don't take up an offering um, going along with the bag. But say, for example's sake, God is watching us taking up our tithes and offerings this week. And um, out of £120, just that 12 quid goes in. And um, there it is. And then your 1,000 quid goes in. Now, can you imagine how wrong it would seem if somebody suggested that God would say, that's what you call a tithe, look at that. A thousand quid now, that's more like it. Well, bless you for trying, but, you know, your tithe is so small that maybe you should consider double tithing until you get yourself a better job and can give some real money, yeah? you know? We would think, what a... The widow's might. Jesus was impressed, not with the big giving. Well, the big giving is wonderful, but it was the fact that the widow's might was the costly of the giving because it was all she had. And, and, and Jesus didn't say, well, that's very nice of you, old lady, but you might as well keep that. What use is a mite to us? That's, it's the principle that contains the blessing, not the amount, doesn't it? And we are perfectly happy to absorb that when it comes to money. But when it comes to other things like prayer, we seem to have a, a bit of a mental blockage about this. And if all you have in a day is 10 minutes, and that's costly, what do you think God's going to say? Well, don't bother, it's only 10 minutes. It's a widow's might situation. And if all you can do is, pray, is fast during the day, and when everything else has stopped for 10 minutes, you can pray then, you will have the same kind of dynamic, powerful encounter as someone who's been there for three hours. You will. Because if it's not the case, then what on earth are we doing here? If Christianity only works for people with lots of time and with lots of money and with wonderful facilities, then 
we have been fed a terrible lie, haven't we? But the Bible teaches that this gospel works in every circumstance, in every issue. There is no such thing as a person whose life is so messed up and complicated that the Holy Spirit can't move in it. It doesn't exist. It just doesn't. God is in the business of meeting us where we are. And life is about seasons. There will be times when you will have more time. But you don't just wait until then. Otherwise, you're going to spend your whole Christian life waiting until all the ducks have lined up and the circumstances are now perfect for you to pray. Um, what's that thing about tomorrow never comes? And I hope this will free you up today. Because sometimes we think, well, there's no point in praying and fasting because I'm so busy I can't do justice to it. You might even think, well, there's no point in praying and fasting. I've got such a bad attitude to something that's happened at work that you know, if we wait until the circumstances are okay, we'll never do anything. And these four weeks have been about the fact that fasting is for everyone. It will bring breakthrough. It will bring glory. It will help you in terms of your inner peace and trust in God, and it will bring you closer to God. So today, um, it's all about, well, I think it's about time. I do. I think it's about time that we realise that God wants us to draw close to him. Okay? But in a very, very, very real sense, although it's all about time, it's not about time at all, is it? Because it is about the quality of what you bring to God, not the amount of time that it takes to do that. It's a difficult thing to talk about because I'm a great believer in prayer and I'm a believer in intercessory prayer. I'm a believer in sustained seasons of prayer. But I'm also a human being who lives on planet Earth and I think that this is important today. There is no reason at all for you not to engage in this and there is no reason at all for you not to decide that if Paul is so determined on this, then so will I be. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I want to get closer to him, that he'll tell me some stuff as well. And can you imagine as the Holy Spirit broods over our nation at the moment, that he's actually in a pretty grim state spiritually, looking for a people with whom he can talk business. It would be lovely if when he pauses over us, he thinks, I think those people are the sort of people who are going to listen to me. I think so. Okay. Thank you for listening and letting me do this with you today.